0: We're continuing our study in the Gospel of John together, and actually we're continuing in Chapter 8 of the Gospel of John. We're considering this morning verses 12 through 20. So I encourage you to uh, look at your Bible, whether that be in a book where you actually turn pages or on a device. <laughs> but it's, it's helpful always to, to, to look and follow along as I read John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from. And where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge. My judgment is true. For I am not alone. But I am with the father who sent me. It is also written in your law. That the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself. And the father who sent me. Bears witness of me. Then they said to him. Where is your father? Jesus answered. You know neither me nor my Father. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. You recall that uh, we have been talking about, this is during the festival of tabernacles in Jerusalem. So in chapter Earlier chapter at the feeding of the 5,000, that was as Passover was on the scene. Now, starting in chapter 7, six months later, and in the last six months of his life, uh, Jesus begins uh, with the season of tabernacles, a, a great feast in Israel. And we talked about it, how uh, during that time, it was an important time. One of the things he said is, I am, and come to me anyone who thirsts. And and that represented that, that played on the water ceremony that was part of the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, this will continue Jesus now as the feast is over, but still with some of the ideas behind him he will be here in the temple teaching and playing on some of those images. We're told, he then Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. And so that tells us this is just a continuation. He's He's again in the temple or still in the temple. And we see in verse 20 actually that it says these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. So that tells us not only he's in the temple, but where? And he's, we're told he's speaking in the, the treasury, or which is actually in the court of the women. That's right in the heart of the whole temple precinct. So as he is there teaching, these words come forth. When he said, I am, uh, if anyone thirst, let him come to me. Well, the people had been part of that ceremony. Through the tabernacles, each day they would go down to the pool of Siloam. They would take a pitcher of, a golden pitcher of water, fill it up. And then they would walk up the many steps and into the temple and pour it out at the, at the, at the altar. That was to remind them, the whole tabernacles feast was to remember the 40 days, 40 years in the wilderness. And the water ceremony reminded them, even there in the wilderness of Sinai, God provided water for the two million person nation sufficient for their needs. And so as they remembered the pouring out of water, and that also reminded them God provided water seasonally in the rains. But Jesus stood up and said, If anyone thirsts, then come to me. Let, Let him drink of me. And so what he's saying is, God provided water for your physical thirst. I am the water for your heart thirst. Now, he uses another image. He says, I am the light of the world. And that that speaks of another uh, part of the ceremonies uh, of, of the Feast of Tabernacles. On the first day, and it may be that for a few other days it continued, but by the end of the feast it was over. But at least on the first day, it was, it was quite a ceremony. In the evening, so early on, there was the ceremony of the pouring out of the water. But then as things became dark, there in the court of women, or with the treasury, there were four uh, large menorahs. Have you ever seen a menorah like around Hanukkah? Well, this didn't have the whole eight things, but they, they had like four big tanks on top of each of these menorahs. And they were they were full of gallons of oil, olive oil. The wicks were made from the um, the the discarded priestly linen garments. I guess back then they didn't have resale shops where they could take them. Well, you know what do you do with these holy garments? You can't just put them out. You can't throw them away. You can't. And so they would use them, take up those garments, and make the wicks for these massive. uh, lights that were there. There were four of them. And it was a, they were huge, like beacon-type torches up there. Someone would go up this, on the ladder with gallons of, of, of this oil, put in the wicks, and light them up. And the report is, when they lit those up, especially on that first night of the Feast of Tabernacles, the light that emanated there from the temple, which is kind of over, higher than any part of Jerusalem, it says every courtyard in every home in Jerusalem lit up from the light of those uh, huge uh, menorahs there in the temple precincts. Like as that was those, those large lampstands, those large menorahs were there in the court of women. And I think tonight, maybe I'll show you a picture. If you look at the temple precincts and the temp, the court of women is the court just outside where the, You go up some stairs, and that's where the the altar and the priests were. So it's right close to the very temple itself. And that's where Jesus is sitting as he's teaching and says, I am the light of the world, right where he might have been leaning up against one of those huge menorahs and said, I am the light of the world. Must have been incredible. Incredible. Well, if the pouring out of water reminded them of God's provision of water over the 40 years of wilderness, those huge menorahs with brilliant light reminded them of the pillar that was with Israel in the wilderness. Now, you would remember that from your Bible reading this year, though some of that, you see more of it in the book of Numbers, and Numbers is usually one of the places where we... Our, our intent to read through the Bible crashes. But per, you've surely seen um, the Ten Commandments with Ewell Brenner and Charlton Heston. If you have, then you'll remember the great pillar. At, in the daytime, it was a pillar of cloud. At night, it was a pillar of fire. You remember in the movie, which it, it happened exact, everything was exactly as it was in the Bible. But you remember in the movie, the Pharaoh's armies were coming to attack the Israelites, and that pillar was there, and it blocked them. That's true in the Bible. The pillar was part of God's protection. The pillar, especially at night, provided light. I imagine it provided some warmth. Now here's the nation out there in the desert. if you've, if you've been out in the desert, it gets cooler at night. Now, I'm sure the rabbis had to, you know, discuss with them the question: Is it appropriate, you know, this huge, if you will, the biggest campfire in the world? Are you allowed to use it for making s'mores? I'm sure the uh, the rabbis gathered and talked through. Well, are the are the marshmallows? Well, they didn't. But but you get the the warmth, the light. Out in those days, and especially out in the desert, it could be dark. There was the warmth. There was the light. There was the protection. And sometimes, apparently, that pillar, whether it be cloud or fire, cloud of day, fire at night, that's how they knew what they were supposed to do, when they were supposed to go and where. If the pillar got up and moved, they got up and moved. I was thinking about that. I don't know how quick, you know, if it moved really slowly because you think about it. It's time to break camp. How long did that take them? I imagine after forty years they became pretty efficient, but when the when the pillar moved, they moved. Sometimes apparently it moved at night. Now, you might think, well, that's cruel. But again, if you've been in the desert, moving at night's a lot easier, a lot cooler, and if you've got that light, it's not a question of your stumbling. And so, but the key is it was it was their light. It was their it was their guide. And Jesus said, "He's the light of the world." So as they lit those huge torches and, and Jerusalem lit up. But at the end of the feast, it was dark at night. They stopped lighting those menorah. So, now that the darkness had returned, Jesus said, "I am the light of the world I am the light of the world now if you remember in the the gospel of John there are seven major I am statements by Jesus in chapter 6 he said I am the bread of life in chapter 10 he will say I am the gate or the door later in chapter 10 he will also say I am the good shepherd in chapter 11 I am the resurrection and the life in chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In chapter 15, I am the vine. So seven times, remember, with that I am, that again spoke to the Jewish people. Because again, back there in, in Sinai Peninsula, when God met Moses and sent him and said, I want you to go and lead my people out of Israel, Moses said, they're going to ask me, what's the name of, our, of, of this God. And God said to them, "You tell them, my name is I am, that I am." And so when Jesus uses that expression, "I am," He's claiming the name of God. And here he's saying, "I am the light." Again, it was a protection. It was a guide, it was a comfort. I was thinking about it, I heard a discussion or a mention of a, of, a, of a lighthouse light. And they're going, "That can save your life, right? But if you know about lighthouses, they're beautiful and they're wonderful, but the sailors really like them because of what they do. But if you think about the light of a lighthouse, what it's saying is is go away. The lighthouse is saying I'm sitting on a rock. It's kind of like, you know, those bumper stickers. If you can read this, you're too close. It's basically saying don't get close to me because I'm sitting on rock. If you get your ship next to me, You're going to go under. It's saying, stay away. But Jesus says, I am the light. Come to me for that protection, for that warmth, for that guidance. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Remember in chapter uh, 6, he talked about, I am the bread of life. That was, again, he's he's building all about their experience in the wilderness. God provided bread, manna. Every day he renewed it. But everybody who ate that bread died. Eventually. He says, he who feasts on me will never die. And now he says, I am. And then in chapter 7 he says, I am the water. I am the wellspring of life. And now he says, I am the light of life. No one can claim that. I can talk about the fact that Jesus is the light. Follow the light of God. But if I stood before you and said, I am the light of life, what am I claiming for myself? What he was claiming is he is God. And he is their source of ultimate light and life. But who could claim such a thing if he wasn't God? And so once again, here's the point where where he is claiming for himself what no man can. And he said, I am the light of life. I read the story of a, back in World War II, there was a US uh, aircraft carrier and it was out there in the Pacific Ocean and the word was that there were submarines in the area, and so what you do is you turn off your lights. You don't want to make it easy. Just like if you ever were aware of, watch movies of World War II times, they would have blackouts. You had to cover your curtains because uh, even the lighting of a match could tell the enemy bomber that's where they are, hit there. And so, of course, this aircraft carrier out in the middle of the ocean (laughs) make it very easy for a submarine. There, There aren't lights out in the ocean, and so... The one light, and they would say, that's where the torpedo goes. And so they turned off all their lights, and and they're in total darkness. The problem was, there was an aircraft out there. And he was flying around in the dark, too. How would he find the aircraft carrier? And so finally, the ship's captain gave the order, light up the ship. And the plane came... And landed, as only a Navy pilot can. I've learned a new expression sometimes when you when you're on air, aircraft and it really has a hard bump. I've heard people say, "Oh, we must have a Navy pilot flying this thing." Oh. <laughs> but anyway, he, you can imagine how he came. As a matter of fact, and landed, and I'm sure they turned off the lights as soon as they could. But that light was life to him. Reminds me of a time one time when Barb's dad was flying down to Terrell in his little aircraft, and you know back then the the Look, the G- GPS and all that kind of stuff I can't remember if he had it in his aircraft at that time because that was something really new and exciting but as he was flying and he's looking at his map and trying to figure out where is the airport well we went over to the air- little Terrell airport to meet him and uh, and we start talking about the guy who's basically running the airport and everything else and he said, Oh, we got a friend coming you know, my father's coming in an airplane and uh, he said oh well, you know, all the lights were out that's what you do in a small-town airport at night. You turn off the lights. And he said, well, let me put on the lights for him. And all of a sudden, everything lit up like crazy. He was not far out, and he said, as soon as the lights came on, bingo. And it just warmed it. He was tired. It had been a long flight, and there was the light. And he came in and landed, but he came out and said, who turned on the lights? That was great. And he was instant friends with the fellow at the airport. Well, here's the point. There's that idea of light in those cases that's hope that's guidance that's survival and that's a picture of what Jesus is saying is i am the light of the world i am light and life darkness is a picture of death but what does jesus say i am the light of the world he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. Jesus is constantly kind of drawing a dividing line, isn't he? He's basically saying there's no middle ground. Either you are following the light or you're in darkness. If you follow the light, then you will have eternal life. And here he's using following the light, like following that pillar of fire as a picture of faith, believing. just like eating the bread, receiving Christ into your life, drinking the water, receiving Christ into the life, following the light. those are all different ways of, of depicting saving faith. And here's what he's saying is, as it was a source of joy, comfort and guidance and survival in the wilderness. To see that pillar of light, he's saying, I am the light of the world. Follow me, and you will have eternal life. Well, it continues as he goes on, verse 13. We see now the Pharisees react. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true. So they, this is one of the groups of the Jewish leaders, they take the lead and they start challenging them on the basis of legal authority. Your testimony, if, if you just if one witness doesn't count, you're, you're testifying of yourself, so it, that doesn't count. That does, you can't credit that as a true statement. And So Jesus answers in verse uh, 14. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. So he says, My witness is true, because I have information you don't. I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. And this is you'll notice Jesus again and again and again saying, I'm not from here. I came here. He came from heaven. And so he's saying, my witness is true because I came from heaven with my message. You know, to use various ways, we can illustrate that. But maybe with the recent passing of the Queen, I've noticed over recent months, uh, you would see these reports: the Queen has died, the Queen has died. And you know, and, and you might, if you if you if you believe the concept, if it's on the internet, it must be true. If you do, I have some bridges I'd like to show, show you. But, but in other words, uh, but there, here, and I see this all the time, these, these death reports um, that weren't true. How do we know for sure that the queen is dead? Well, one of the signs was when you saw the two men coming out of Buckingham Palace with an official printing and the official seal of Buckingham Palace with the announcement of the death of the queen. There's no question. Because of where the messenger came from. He's stepping right out of the, of, the, of the palace in London. And so Jesus is saying, how do you know my message is true? I know where I came from. But he's not talking about Nazareth. He's saying, my message is true because I came from heaven with this message. In Verses 15 and 16. They answered, or he uh, he goes on, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I'm not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. And so he tells them, you're judging according to the flesh. You're judging according to what you can see, and you're judging according to human wisdom. Human judgment is always flawed. And you know, sometimes we say, well, science proves this. But the problem with science is it's, it's based on human judgment. You know, we say, well, this is an established fact. One of the questions is, how do you know? Well, the, the instruments may have been off. The, um, I remember one time someone made a judgment on what was under a microscope and, and made a diagnosis that was faulty. The problem was they forgot what power they were looking through. They saw, thought something was much bigger than it was. It's, it's, are you, is, is the equipment for observation accurate? Is my interpretation of the facts accurate? And so Jesus is saying, you judge according to the flesh. He's God. He says, my judgment is true, and I am not alone. I am with the Father who sent me. He, you notice he constantly refers to God, the Father, as the one who sent him. He was sent from heaven by God the Father. So it's like challenging the authority of the royal ambassador. And he says, the king sent me. Verse 17. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness of myself. And the father who sent me bears witness of me. So now he reminds them of their own law. The Pharisees, they were all about the law, the Torah. And he said, read your own book. Read the law. Two witnesses prove something is true. When he says your law, now he's not saying it's the Bible is man's law, not God's, but what he's saying is, you know your book. Open your Bible is in a sense what he's saying. Look at your Bible. And what does it say? Two witnesses show it's True. And so he's saying, I don't speak for myself. My father bears witness of me as well. So that's two, myself and the father. Notice, by the way, what he's saying. I am the one who bears witness of myself, and the father who sent me bears witness of me. What he's saying is, if you reject the witness of Jesus Christ, if you reject the teaching and testimony of Jesus Christ, you are also rejecting the testimony and teaching of God the father. Well, how does the Father bear witness of it? Well, one, just in Jesus' words. That's God's testimony. Jesus again and again says, I'm only saying what I heard from the Father. Then two, um, God gives testimony of Jesus through the miracles he does. They're called signs. They prove who he is, that he comes from heaven. He speaks with divine authority. Three, uh, the, the power of, of Jesus' testimony Upon people, is evidence. Think of the woman that just left, caught in that caught in adultery, a transformed woman. She calls him Lord, and walks forth repentant. Uh, think of so many whose lives were changed. And of course, there's the testimony of John the Baptist, who said, "I," you know, everyone thought he was a prophet. He says Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look at the Bible. That's God speaking. And Jesus, the prophets of the Old Testament show that Jesus is the, prof, is the Messiah. So God bore witness and the, and of Jesus, and Jesus bore witness. That's two. He says, our testimony is true. They then answered, oh, and, and so they're going to, okay, you say your father's bearing witness? Where is your father? Kind of like, bring in your witness. Jesus answered, "You know neither me nor my father. If you'd known me, you would have known my father also." Now they may have known that Joseph was dead. Everything we, We're never told in the Bible, Joseph died. But when we come to this point in Jesus' life, there's never a mention of Joseph. Uh, we see Mary and the brothers and sisters of Jesus. But we maybe never see Joseph. And so they, everybody assumes Joseph by this time is dead. And so maybe they're thinking Joseph de- is dead. How can he bear witness? Where is your father? And Jesus answered, you don't know me or my father. If you'd known me, you would know my father. Now that's, that is a huge statement Jesus makes. You know neither me nor my father. If you'd known me, you would have known my father. What Jesus is saying is the only way you can know the Father is through Jesus Christ. If you know me, you know my father. Jesus makes statements like that throughout the gospel. He makes it especially strong in John 14:6. Remember? I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The only way to have a relationship and to know God is through Jesus Christ. Do you understand how important that is? The only way to have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus says. And that's what he's saying here. If you'd known me, you'd know the Father. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't know the Father. That means that no other religion leads to God. Have you heard the theory, the expression? All roads, all religions, they're all different roads to the same God. And Jesus says to that, wrong. If you don't know me, you're on the wrong road. If you don't follow this pillar of fire, you're going in the wrong direction. It'd be like the people out in the wilderness. The pillar takes off one morning, the pillar of clouds, since it's morning. And many Israelites start following the pillar. say, God says, we're going west. And some of them say, you know, it really doesn't matter which road you take in the wilderness. I'm going to head east. And what would happen? They'd die alone in the wilderness. Jesus is saying the only way to God is through himself, through Jesus. There is no other way to God. Jesus is saying that. It's not, you know, hey, you have to agree with me. Jesus is saying Jesus is the only way to God. That means no other religion will lead you to the true God. I say that so easily with words, but it's a very sorrowful thing because so many are so misled and even immunized to religion because they think their needs are met through the religion they have without having Christ. To know Jesus, you have to know who he is. So all those religions out there that, are, that deny Jesus... Um, They're not leading to God. But we have to be discerning. To know who Jesus is, you need to know who Jesus is. Many will use the name of Jesus and say they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. They don't see him as the eternal God who came to earth, took on human flesh, lived, died for our sins, and rose again from the dead. They don't see him as that. So they might use the name Jesus, but that doesn't mean they know Jesus. I say that because, for example, if I can pick on some names or groups, the Muslims say they believe in Jesus. That was really driven home to me. I've mentioned before, the time I was in a McDonald's getting a cup of coffee, had a a book on John chapter 17, the prayer of Jesus. And the guy serving my coffee said, Well, that looks like an interesting book. And I said, This whole thick book, it's all about one prayer Jesus prayed. And the fellow said, I'm a Muslim. We believe in Jesus too. But they don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible, they know the name. But they are emphatic. Oh, don't you dare say that Jesus is God. They deny his deity. That means they don't know him. Mormons will tell you, your Mormon friends and neighbors will tell you they believe in Jesus. But they deny that he's the eternal God. They say God isn't eternal. They say Jesus uh, is a spirit being who came from heaven, lived a perfectly righteous life, and therefore became God. And you too can become God. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. Jehovah's Witnesses say they believe in Jesus, but they deny his God. Well, we could go on, but do you get the point? Just because someone names the name Jesus, you have to ask the question, Is who is Jesus? Maybe you've run into that sometimes. You talk to someone and they say, well, I, I know Bob. And you start talking, oh, you know Bob. And they find out, oh, you're talking about a different Bob. I would use my own name, but there aren't that many Drakes running around. So, um, and I tell people, if you know my last name, if they're my, if you see my last name, they're my relative. It's unusual, um, but but that's my point. Is just because someone says they know Jesus, who do you say he is? And then the other question is, do you really know him? Are you are you? What he say? You must. I am the light. You must follow me. Have you trusted him? Have you? To use his language. Have you eaten him as bread? Have you, did you drink of Jesus? In other words, have you taken him in, into your heart and life by faith? Jesus is the one saying this. And so and some people take great offense at this idea and maybe attack the Christian who says this as being narrow-minded. I am just presenting to you what Jesus says about Himself. And if this is a trouble to you, then your trouble is with Jesus. But there are many people who who miss the point by not knowing who Jesus is. Are you clear on who Jesus is? Again as He is God in the flesh, the eternal God who came into this earth and took on humanity died for our sin, rose from the dead, and offers salvation to any who will believe in him. But how easy it is to not know who he is. I've been kind of following a lot of the news of the queen's death. And people, everyone's telling stories about her. One story you may have heard that I really enjoy. She, she apparently she had a great sense of humor. And she loved going to Scotland where she could kind of Dress casually and, and walk in the woods and take picnics. And she'd go just with one police officer and go 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 off for hikes. Well, one time she was and I heard this on TV from the police officer who went on this hike with her and they were out walking and all of a sudden they heard voices coming toward them, and here comes these people walking up and uh, you know just they met them on the path. And so the natural thing is, uh, I think she asked them, "Well, where are you from?" And they're from America. Oh, great. And, uh, and, and what about you? Do you live around here? And she said, well, I've, I've got a country place just over the, over the hill. And, and the Americans said to them, we Americans don't look so good in this one. The Americans said to them, you live around here? Have you ever met the queen? To which she replied, I haven't, but he has. You've met the queen? He said, oh, yes, several times. What's she like? He said, well, she can be rather cantankerous at times, but she's got a great sense of humor. Well, with that, the guy handed his camera to Queen Elizabeth II, put his arm around the police officer, said, will you take a picture of us? And she did. And then they took a picture with all of them together, and off they went down. And as they disappeared down the path... She laughed and said, can you imagine when they show that to their American friends and they realize who they were with? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a funny story, but you know, that's a picture, too, of so many who are walking through this world. They totally miss who Jesus is. And the funny thing is, you know, when they left, don't you know? Oh. I had the Queen of England to myself. What an opportunity, and I missed it. And so many hear about Jesus and miss the blessing of knowing him personally. Don't make that mistake, and, and let's be clear in how we communicate that to others. Well, John closes the section with these words. He says, these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no one laid hands on him, for his time had not yet come. Again, this treasury, and that's another way, the treasury was um, there in the, what's called the woman's court. It's the treasury because this is where you brought your offerings to the Lord. Now, we understand at the time there were 13 trumpet-like um, receptacles. And each one had a label depending on what you're giving. If you're giving to the temple, if you're giving to the offerings, if you're, if you're giving to, for the, the purchasing of the incense, you would give your offerings. Remember back then, um, they didn't have card readers on these things. You put in your money, and they didn't have cash back then. You, you put in your, your change, your coins. And so have you ever been in maybe a bank or something, and someone brings in a lot of change, and they put it in that machine, and it's all this noise? Well, the, the key is, as people would put in their coins, you could tell kind of how big the offering was. And so some would come and it would be all this noise as all the ch- coins went into the, down the trumpet made quite a display. And then someone would drop in a single coin and you'd barely slide down. And so, it, of course, people took advantage of that. But the point is, this was the treasury and right, go up, I think it's 15 steps, I'll clarify that later, you, you'd be where the altar and the laver and the, the court right before the, the temple itself. In in between those two places was the chamber where the Sanhedrin met. So they are right there at the center of the temple, precincts. They are right there by the Sanhedrin where the the court of, of Israel is, and yet no one arrested Jesus. Why? It wasn't his time. And so once again, we're reminded that God is sovereign. He has six more months. God has scheduled that Not here at the end of tabernacles, but in six months. Not now in the fall, but then in the spring. Christ will give his life as a ransom for many. But God had an appointment. God had a plan. Again, it wasn't some failing, some weakness, some mistake. It was God's planned provision from eternity past that Christ would die for sin. And that's a reminder that he made a provision that we could know him. He offers forgiveness and life to any who would call on the name of Jesus Christ in saving faith. So again, if you're not there yet, I just urge you, don't walk away from the Queen of England, or worse, don't walk away from Jesus and miss that opportunity. And again, to know our friends about us. Do they do they know the King? Do they know Jesus Christ? Are they following the light? Again, too, this passage reminds us, our days are appointed, aren't they? Just as... Jesus' days were appointed, so are ours. And one day, on his schedule, each one of us at our time will stand before God and answer. Either we will stand before him in our own sin, or we will stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ by faith. May God give us the right answer now. Christ. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his boldness and clarity. Lord, I pray for each one here to know him as Savior. And Father, I pray that this light, as the light of those torches lit up Jerusalem, Father, may the light of Christ light up this dark, needy land about us. I pray it in Jesus' name.